Hello again, everyone, and welcome back to the Dion Gordon Podcast. I'm your host, the connoisseur of common sense, the purveyor of authenticity, the man who calls it right down the middle, Dion Tyree Gordon. Enough of the bullshit. Let's get to work. The 49ers won a football game today. How about that? Tis the season. You know, this calls for a celebration. I got a glass of red wine in front of me right now. Celebrating the 49ers' sixth win of the season. Is that a good thing or a bad thing, though? We're going to... Uh, Dive into that on this episode of the Deion Gordon Podcast. First of all, yes, it's a positive thing to win a football game. It's always good. Uh, you much rather win than lose. As the great Herman Edwards once said, hello, you play to win the game. And the 49ers won the game today. About time. They haven't won a game in about a month. Been on a three-game losing streak ever since beating the L.A. Rams. Getting blown out by Buffalo on Monday night. Losing a close one to the Washington football team without giving up an offensive touchdown. Losing last Sunday to the Dallas Cowboys, 41-33 on the road in, in Dallas, Texas. You, know, you think about everything everything the 49ers have been through in the 2020 season. Starting off, you know, the 2020 calendar year, you lose the Super Bowl in February to Kansas City. You start this season out. Week two, you lose Nick Bosa and Solomon Thomas on back-to-back plays. That sets the stage for an injury-plagued season. Over $80 million on injury reserve this year for the 49ers. Jimmy Garoppolo out. Richard Sherman out, and neither one of them played today. They were up in the press box watching. It's probably a good thing. You lost Kittle, but you got in bad today. Uh, Kittle's been out twice this year with a knee and a foot. You've had injuries on both sides of the ball, just decimating the football team. D. Ford been out with it, still recovering from that dislocated vagina. This team's been in shambles. They've had to move from Santa Clara to Glendale, Arizona. Got kicked out of the home stadium. They got to deal with the living death, the plague, the walking genocide known as Mike McGlinchey at right tackle. This team's been through so much adversity. Nick Mullins giving football games away. So much adversity this season, yet they still come out there and continue to fight. They play hard. They give you a 1,000% effort every single week, and, t- and today was no different. On the road, well, in the stadium they've been using as their home stadium for the past month, but this is technically a road game versus the Arizona Cardinals. They have everything to play for, Arizona does. Their playoff lives are on the line. Now they no longer control their own destiny. Chicago can take over the, the, the seventh spot in the playoffs. The 49ers had nothing to play for. They were 5-9 and nine going into this game. But yet the 49ers were able to dig deep and dig into that reservoir of tes- testicular fortitude. As Mick Foley used to say, and found a win in the desert when everyone and everything was against them. The pregame picks had them getting blown out. Mar- uh, Maurice Jones-Drew... Had 35-14 Arizona. The other person on there said 28-14 Arizona. I'm pretty sure all the experts picked against the 49ers today. I myself picked against the 49ers today, but here they are coming out with the victory. 20-12. Could have been, I would say, 27-12. Robbie Gold had a hideous day kicking the football. He was absolutely horrible. Uncharacteristically horrible as well. But we'll get to that later. We'll start with the good. The good C.J. Beathard making his first start since 2018. Played efficiently. Not going to light it up as far as stats are concerned, but he took care of the football, which is more than what Nick Mullins has been doing. He threw three touchdown passes on the day, one to Jeff Wilson, two to Kyle Juszczyk. Threw for less than 200 yards, but that's fine. You didn't. The game plan wasn't asking you to go out there and light it up. The game plan was asking you to go out there and take care of the football. We're going to run it between the tackles with Jeff Wilson. He, did a, he was the MVP of the game as far as I'm concerned, Jeff Wilson. But C.J., all you had to do was take care of the football, be smart, Make good decisions. If nothing's there, don't try to force it. 
CJ was 13 of 22, a buck 82, three touchdowns, no picks. He did have a fumble early in the game, but it only led to three points for Arizona. My man Jeff Wilson, 22 carries, a buck 83 on the ground, controlling the line of scrimmage, the tempo, time of possession, etc. Did a great job moving the football. He also had a receiving touchdown, as I pointed out earlier. George Kittle, stone cold George Kittle, the people's tight end, coming, off, coming in off the injured list. And this was a controversial topic coming into this game. A lot of people, uh, admittedly so, myself included, were of the mindset in the camp that Kittle should not play this week. There was nothing to gain, nothing to play for. Uh, that was talked about all week. Uh, Grant Cohn, who covers the 49ers for Sports Illustrated, asked Kittle directly at one of the news conferences this week about why he was playing, why should he play. There's nothing to play for. Uh, Kittle was very stern and honest and frank in his answer and said, I'm playing because I want to play. I want to play football. Pretty much just shut the question down. But he, based off his answer, I take, you know, George is a guy you can see by the way he plays the game. He just loves playing football. He loves being out there. He loves initiating contact. He loves hitting people. He lo- He's a football player. He's a football player that loves to play football. So even though I was trepidatious about him playing today, uh, he wasn't, and he was out there just balling as he, as he would normally ball. You can see his enthusiasm. He, he plays with a, a reckless abandon about himself. And his enthusiasm, his passion for the game is contagious. It rubs off on the other players in the team. They all pick up on that. And it's, it's a motivating factor. It's an inspirational factor for guys in the team. So it was great. It's always great seeing George. George is one of my favorite players to watch play the game because of that reckless abandon, because of that enthusiasm, because of that passion for the sport. So, you know, as a fan, it was great to see Kittle back out there today making plays, doing what he does, moving the ball, four catches, 92 yards. Didn't look rusty at all. He did, he did have a drop later on in the game, but, you know, drops happened. It, it, didn't, it didn't hurt us, so I'm not too mad about the drop. Uh, but those three guys on offense, I thought, controlled everything we did offensively, along with Juszczyk, who had two receiving touchdowns and, and did his job as a blocker, as he always does, along with uh, George Kittle who's a great blocker. I, I would argue George Kittle is better at blocking than Mike McGlinchey is. Mike McGlinchey, you know, is getting to the point, it's funny slash sad to watch this guy play football. To see the way this guy gets ragdolled and manhandled and pushed around, he's on his face, he's rolling around on the ground, he's tra- trailing someone, he's chasing the guy who just beat him, trying to dive back into play. He's a safety hazard. Like, OSHA should step in and just shut down any 49er game Mike McGlinchey's playing in. He's a safety hazard. He is detrimental to your health if you're playing quarterback for the San Francisco 49ers. I don't care who it is. It can be Garoppolo, Nick Mullins, C.J. Beathard. It doesn't matter. 69, if 6'9's if out there, it's a guarantee at, some, at various points of the game, he's going to get pushed back into the quarterback's face. He's going to be on the ground. He's going to be thrown around. You know, the guy's out there just getting abused. It's almost like he's one of Adrian Peterson's kids, and every – defensive lineman he lines up against every week is Adrian Peterson with a tree branch he's using as a switch. Mike McGlinchey gets his ass beat every single 49er game. He is useless. Absolutely useless, pathetic. Just embarrassing to watch as a football player as a right tackle. He has his hands down by his waist. He doesn't initiate contact. He doesn't punch. He gets punched, but he doesn't punch back. You you can't be peaceful and play right tackle. You can't have a a passive-aggressive mindset. You have to be aggressive. You have to initiate it. You have to have start a fight. That's what it is. You're basically getting into a fight inside of a phone booth with another very large man trying to get past you to take out your quarterback. Defend your quarterback. Defend yourself, Mike. Out there just getting abused and embarrassed every single week. Like I said before, 
he's like a woman in a Tyler Perry movie, and every defensive lineman he lines up against is the dark-skinned brother that's beating the woman's ass. And I guess Mike McGlinchey's waiting on some light-skinned Shamar Moore-looking brother to come in and save his life. He's getting his ass kicked every game. He definitely has to put on about 30 or 40 more pounds. He looks malnutrition. He looks malnourished. I feel like I should donate money to Mike McGlinchey, but he's a former first-round draft pick. He already has a lot of money. He doesn't need mine. He needs to play better football. He's trash in every sense of the word. There's nothing positive to say about Mike McGlinchey. He's supposed to be a good run blocker. Most of the time, he's not even good at that anymore. He's been, he's been getting exposed all season without Kittle, who's also on that right side to help him out in run blocking. And with the 49ers being down in a lot of games this year and having to play from behind, he's been getting exposed. You are not good at pass blocking, despite being a, a first-round draft pick right tackle. You are not good at pass blocking. Mike McGlinchey is a liability. In spite of him, the 49ers won today. In spite. Once again, because C.J. Beathard didn't turn the ball over outside of that fumble. That fumble was once again caused by pressure coming from McGlinchey's side. That's just what it is. I mean, it's always getting pushed back into the quarterback's face. You think about how think about how Mullins got hurt last week versus Dallas. Pressure from McGlinchey's side. And I think it was Demarcus Lawrence who hit Mullins as his, uh, his, he was trying to make a pass, and his arm was coming forward, and he was injured. Now he needs Tommy John surgery potentially. But um, McGlinchey's trash. I'll just keep saying that. Bethard was great today as a as a backup, did his job. Jeff Wilson is interesting. The first uh, touchdown pass Bethard threw, the Jeff Wilson was on the angle route. The Cardinals in the last three games they played the 49ers have been beaten by that route three consecutive times. We beat him last year when Garoppolo threw that game-winning touchdown pass to Jeff Wilson. Same route, angle route. Come out the backfield, he'd go into the sideline and cut it back in at about a 45-degree angle to the middle of the field. Make the catch wide open, taking it for six. Go back to game one of this year, Raheem Mostert caught a 76-yard touchdown pass on the same route against the same football team. Isaiah Simmons got destroyed on that route. He looked every bit of a rookie as he is. When that play, when Garoppolo hit, hit Mostert for a 76-yard touchdown, where Mostert ran 70 yards. And then today, scored a touchdown in the first quarter. Same route, same football team. I don't know if the Cardinals just don't see this on tape. I don't know if they don't pick it up. But if, if, it, if it always works, just keep running. When we play them again next year, run that same play in the, in the first quarter, see what happens. See if they, during the offseason, if they figure out a way to defend that same play they've been beating on in three consecutive games. But as a 49er fan, it's fun to see. I don't have a problem with it. I love. I laughed when I saw it. As soon as I saw it, I was like, that's the same route. you know." And they still haven't figured out a way to defend that route. They've been beating on it in three straight games. Uh, moving on to the other stars of the game, my man Robert Sala as a defensive coordinator. The entire defense as a whole carried the game and won the game for this football team. But Robert Sala's game plan, and especially the adjustments he made to getting cooked by Kyler Murray in week one, excellent. That was a three-hour job interview for Robert Sala. I think he's definitely going to be a head coach somewhere next season. I wouldn't guess. My forecast, my prediction would be either Detroit or Jacksonville. But he's definitely got a head coaching job sewn up somewhere in this league. And today was an example of what he can do. He was locked in. Like I said, that game plan was excellent. Everyone knows the 49ers have been notorious for getting cooked by mobile, dual-threat athletic quarterbacks like Colin Murray so many times over the past two years. But today, he only has 75 yards rushing. Compare that to the 91 that he had in week one when we lost to the Arizona Cardinals the first time this season, 
Colin uh, Murray just ran all over us. We had no answer for him. But today, great job with that mush rush, collapsing the pocket, bringing the rush straight up the middle, right into his face, making it difficult for him to see over the offensive, offensive and defensive line. Remember, Colin Murray's 5'9", so it's always going to be a problem for him to see over the line. So he, you want to keep him contained inside the pocket. Though we did a great job of that. Didn't let him break contained too often. The best thing the 49ers defense did all day, tackling. I've always said football is a game predicated on two principles, blocking and tackling. If you can block and tackle better than the other team, you have a great chance to win. Today, the 49ers tackled better than the Arizona Cardinals. Fred Warner had 14 tackles, eight of them solo. My man Drake Greenlaw, sideline to sideline, seven tackles, six of them solo. Quan Williams had a sack. I thought, he was, I thought Quan Williams did an excellent job being used in a nickel corner in this game, coming on the blitz, creating pressure. Uh, Kerry Hyder Jr. also had a sack. He continues to do an outstanding job. He has eight and a half sacks on the season, which, uh, which is the most in the team. Once again, it's a tremendous job defensively by the fifth-ranked defense in the NFL, Ar- the architect of Robert Sala. Great game plan by Robert Sala. Great execution by the players. Jason Verrett did a great job one-on-one in coverage on DeAndre Hopkins. You go Once again, you go back to week one, Hopkins had about 15 catches for like 140 yards and a touchdown. He just destroyed Emmanuel Mosley in week one. Jason Verrett today, much better job. Different story. Hopkins only had eight catches for 48 yards in this game. I thought Verrett did a great job early breaking up a potential touchdown. I thought uh, Killer Willispoon had an interception late that pretty much, I don't want to say sealed the deal, but Arizona was driving, uh, I think, in the red zone, about to go in for a score. Killer Willispoon did a great job. Playing coverage, recognizing the ball was in the air, turned his head around. He put it all together. So many times over the years I've seen Witherspoon play football, he couldn't put it all together. He would do one of those things right and then fuck it up at the very end. He would track the ball, turn his head, but then interfere with the receiver too early. Or he would just never turn his head and, and get flagged for interference. Or he'd just get beat. But here lately, I don't know what's gotten into him. He's been playing better football the past couple weeks. I thought today he was great. The whole secondary, minus Richard Sherman, minus Emmanuel Mosley, Deion Jordan not playing on, a, on, a, on your defensive line. Jimmy Ward not back there in the secondary as well. Even with guys out. And you, there's an argument that could be made the team plays better without Richard Sherman. Once again, it hurts me to say that, but at the same time, it's just being transparent. I think the defense overall plays better without Richard Sherman. And I think for Sherman, the writing's on the wall. Uh, he knows that he's come out and said it publicly that he doesn't anticipate being back on this team next season. I also wouldn't anticipate him being on the team next season. And, you know, that's just the way it is. I mean, football is always going to be a business. He's been with the team for about three years, played at a high level, was a Pro Bowl player last year. I think an integral part of us getting to to the Super Bowl last year, I think an integral part in restoring the the leadership and the credibility of the San Francisco 49ers. And coming down from Seattle and bringing that leadership and that winning attitude from Seattle down to San Francisco – being a coach in the field, being a mentor to the other defensive backs, I think Richard Sherman has been invaluable to this team. But all good things must come to an end. At this point in the game, he's 32 uh, with a calf injury and a, a history of uh, torn Achilles. Law, appears to have lost a step or two. Gets exposed in big games against smaller receivers. And the cap hit's going to be too much. So the writing is on the wall. Richard Sherman probably won't be back on this team next season. And you know, God bless him wherever he goes. Uh, best of luck to him. I have nothing against Richard Sherman. He's my favorite player in the team. But just being honest, the team might be better off without him anyway. Um, but, yeah, the defense, 
can't say enough about the defense. You hold a high-powered, high-scoring offense. Well, not, I won't say high-scoring, but an offense with weapons like Arizona at 12 points at home. You know, I think the tone was set earlier on defense with Tavarius Moore laying a hit on a Christian Kirk in the back of the end zone on a, what could have been the first score of the game. Uh, Colin Murray threw a nice pass in the back of the end zone to Kirk. It was pretty much wide open. Tavarius Moore came over at the last second, laid a big hit on him. He uh, dropped the football, ruled incomplete. He had to settle for a field goal. I think things like that help set the tone for a defense and get everyone else tuned in and plugged in to playing at a high level. And these guys, they set that tone early, and they carried it on for the rest of the game. Like I said, the tackling was the number one thing I was most impressed by with the 49er defense. They did an excellent job of just bringing guys to the ground and, and not giving up big yards after the catch. Uh, for the game, Colin Murray, 31-50, 247, one interception, sat three times for 17 yards. Take away Colin Murray, 75 yards rushing. You only get 45 yards for the rest of the team. Kenyon Drake at 45 yards. DJ Foster at one catch for one carry for zero yards. So we give up 120 yards on the ground, but 75 of that was Colin Murray scrambling out of the pocket. Great job all around for the defense, for the offense. Special teams, not so much. I mean, you're talking about Robbie Gold leaving seven points on the field. You can't really say too much good about the special teams. And we have a, a who's who, a revolving door cast of characters uh, in regards to who's going to be our kick return specialist. That's something the 49ers got to get sewn up. This team, at some point or another, has to figure out a way to get something out of the return game. We've had nothing. I know why Shanahan doesn't want to put out Yoke back there to return kicks because you don't want to risk getting them hurt. But we got to do better than what we got. Because all season, you're talking about Jet McKinnon, Trent Taylor, Richie James Jr. None of those guys can return kicks. None of those guys are a threat. Trent Taylor is a liability. The amount of times he's either muffed a punt, fumbled it, or just given up field positioning and yardage. Think about last week. You know, he could have. Kick returners always taught, plant your feet at the 10-yard line. The ball goes over your head, let it go over your head. Trent Taylor plants his feet at the 15-yard line, lets the ball bounce at the 12-yard line. It bounces back to the two. Now at 49ers at the start, the two-yard line last week versus Dallas. Little things like that. You give up 12 yards of field positioning when you don't know what you're doing. Jet McKinnon, as I've called him before, is more like Jet Lag McKinnon. He, he has no burst. He can't run. His legs aren't there. You know, back-to-back seasons, he had blown-out knees. So this is a guy still trying to work his way back because his legs have looked dead all season. But those three guys have been the main return guys, and Dante Pettis when he was here. You know, I brought up in an earlier podcast, Dante Pettis went on a suicide mission versus the Seattle Seahawks where he ran full speed into a wedge and got knocked out and fumbled the football. But between Dante Pettis, Trent Taylor, Jet McKinnon, and Richie James Jr., 49ers have had nothing in the return game. No threat whatsoever in the return game. And today, not only do you not have a return game, but you have your kicker, Robbie Gold, your Pro Bowl kicker, Robbie Gold, missing a 41-yarder, missing a 43-yarder, missing an extra point, seven points left on the field by a Pro Bowl, all-pro kicker. Fortunately, it didn't cost us the game today. Or maybe unfortunately, a point I'll get to in a little bit. Uh, you win the game 20-12, probably should have been 27-12. At the very least, 21-12, you make an extra point. Uh, Arizona had an opportunity late with no timeouts left to drive down the field. Fortunately, we didn't give up the score. But, you know, you, you never want to leave points on the field, and that's uncharacteristic of Robbie Gold, who I think had made like 34 straight field goals inside of 50 yards up until today. He'd been on, you know, he'd been a lock to make the field goal, but today, I don't know what it got, what it got into him. He was off all game long. 
But fortunately, it did not cost the 49ers. Fortunately or unfortunately, as I'm about to address, they win the game 20 to 12. And like like I said earlier, like the great Herm Edwards once said, you play to win the game. But for the 49ers, it gets a little bit tricky because this is the penultimate game of the season. So you have one more game left. You're mathematically eliminated from the playoffs. You're sitting at six and nine right now. The best you can do is finish up seven and nine. The question. Was it worth it to win the day and potentially fuck up your draft positioning? Where you draft at, where you select in the draft matters. So going into this game, the 49ers were slated. They have the 10th pick in the 2021 NFL draft. Now they're somewhere between 12 and 14. We'll see how the rest of the games for the rest of the weekend uh, play out. But you go from 10 to 12 to 14. It's not that dramatic or big of a loss. But like I said, where you pick at in the draft matters. You want to be in a, a position to get the best football players available, the most talented football players available, to solidify weak spots of your team and, and fortify your team going forward. For whatever reason, this is a controversial – well, I, I know why it's a controversial discussion uh, amongst fans, most 49er fans. On one side, you have Niner fans who will say – that losing is stupid, that Niner fans who want the 49ers to lose to get a better draft pick are also stupid and not real 49er fans, that you want to win, you want especially against your division rivals, you want to beat a team like Arizona and beat Seattle next week, you know, telling the team or just hoping that the team loses on purpose is, is negative. It sets a, a, a bad precedent, sets a, it's correlating with a losing culture. You know, you, you want to win. What kind of 49er fan are you? Why would you root against your own team to lose? Are you crazy? And then you have other Niner fans who think about the long-term. Now, those previous fans are more short-term, short-sighted fans. They're thinking about it here and now, today. Did we win? Did we beat the Arizona Cardinals? Did we have bragging rights over the Cardinals and, and Cardinal fans that we might run into and have an argument and discussion with at a bar or a lounge or, or wherever? And a, a Cardinal fan you might work with. Now you have bragging rights when you go back in the office on Monday. You can talk shit to that guy. You have Niner fans like that. But you also have Niner fans on the other side of the coin that are more – Thinking about the long term of this, where do we want to be at in the draft? Do we want to be in the best position possible, take the best player possible? The fans on the other side who are short-sighted and think about the short term will argue that, inexplicably to me, they will argue that the draft is overrated because other teams had high draft picks and failed and didn't get good football players. That doesn't matter if the 49ers have high draft picks or not because other teams failed, so that means we're going to fail. It's not an exact science that just because you draft someone in the first round, they're going to end up being a great football player, a great draft pick. People typically will use the example of Tom Brady, who's a six-round draft pick, pick number 198. There were seven other quarterbacks selected ahead of Tom Brady, and they all ended up being shit. And Tom Brady went on to become the greatest quarterback in the history of professional football. That is what I refer to as an anomaly. That is the precedent, not the rule. That doesn't happen often. It's rare that a six-round draft pick goes on to play 20 years in the NFL at a high level and win six Super Bowls. That doesn't normally happen. You want to get the best and most talented players available to you. You don't want to be in a position where you scouted somebody and you know, you know this guy's a great fit for what you do, but you couldn't draft him because a team ahead of you already took him. Well, you could have been in that position to take that guy. Like, it's mind-boggling to me when I hear 49er fans downplay the, the importance and the relevance of the NFL draft. Are you crazy? The draft is how you build football teams. 
the core nucleus of your football team, if you're a good football team, is going to be built in the draft. I can give you all types of examples to illustrate this. You look at the teams at the top of the league right now. Let's go over the two teams who are favored to play in Super Bowl 55. They played last Sunday, Kansas City and New Orleans. Kansas City's core nucleus of guys. Now, they brought in free agents to supplement this, but their core nucleus are, are draft picks. Patrick Mahomes is a draft pick. Tyreek Hill, Travis Kelsey, Mitchell Schwartz, Chris Jones. Those are draft picks. Mm-hmm. Now, on the other hand, you can say, well, they went out and got a, a trade with Seattle. They could bring in Frank Clark, and they got Tyron Matthew and brought him in as a, as a free agent. You know, They went out and got Bashar Breeland as a free agent, added to their team, and they put together a Super Bowl roster. Yes, but the core nucleus of their football team, as I said, are draft picks. Patrick Mahomes, Ty Hill, Miko Harmon, Travis Kelsey, Mitchell Schwartz, Chris Jones, etc. Sorensen, good football player on the team. Draft pick. The New Orleans Saints, same thing. Alvin Kamara is a draft pick. Trey Hendrickson is a draft pick. Marshawn Lattimore, draft pick. Michael Thomas, Ryan Ramchick, Chauncey Gardner-Johnson, Marcus Davenport, Marcus Williams. Those are draft picks. I can use my own team as an example, the San Francisco 49ers. We got to the Super Bowl last year bolstered by good quality draft picks. We don't make a lot of those. We airball a lot with guys like Ruben Foster and Mike McGlinchey and Solomon Thomas and Dante Pettis, but every now and then we get it right in the draft. Nick Bosa was a draft pick. George Kittle was a draft pick. Those are the two best football players on the 49ers. They're both draft picks. Debo Samuel was a draft pick. The guy who radically changed our entire offense, Debo Samuel, second-round draft pick. Fred Warner, Dre Greenlaw, draft picks. The two best linebackers on the team are both draft picks. DeForest Buckner, Eric Armstead, Jimmy Ward, talking about last year's team, the Super Bowl runner-up team, draft picks. Those three guys, Buckner, Armstead, Jimmy Ward, first-round draft picks. All those guys I just named were critical in the 49ers' success last season in getting to the Super Bowl and coming within 10 points of actually winning it. Too many 49er fans have this mindset of, well, all we got to do is get this guy back and that guy back. We got to get Bosa healthy and get Kittle healthy for a full season and bring Jimmy back for a full season. Once we get all of our guys back, we'll be unstoppable. So many Niner fans have that mindset and that way of thinking. I don't understand it. I've, said, I believe, I've made this point so many times. When next season starts, it's not going to start in the fourth quarter of Super Bowl 54 with the 49ers already being up 10 points, and all they have to do is not fuck it up this time. That's not what's going to happen. Every year in April, there is a draft. There is a, a two, three-day opportunity to improve your football team. Whatever areas you are deficient at, you can use the draft to fortify and enrich those areas you are deficient at. Or... If you're fortunate enough to be in a good spot, you can just draft good football players. The best player on the board, just draft that guy. Whatever needs you have on your team, you can address those in the draft. The 49ers, as it stands right now, have nine draft picks. Use those nine draft picks wisely and fortify areas of need on the football team. Your interior line, your running back situation, your defensive secondary, and as I would argue and I would suggest, address your quarterback situation. Draft a quarterback somewhere in the first round, second round at the latest. Stop messing around. Stop hoping to find a diamond in the rough. Tom Brady doesn't come along every year. He comes along once every 20 years at the most. Draft a quarterback in the first round of the NFL draft. Stop fucking around. Address the most important position in sports in the first round. 
Zach Wilson more than likely going to be off the board. And truthfully, as much as I like Zach Wilson, I wouldn't suggest trading up to get him. Especially if I if I if I got to give up three or four draft picks or a couple of first round picks and a second round pick to get him, I'm not sure if he's that good. Well, depends on what the scouts saw. If if the scouts were sent out and they have been to take a look at Zach Wilson, they just deem him to be the next generational talent, the end-all, be-all, the second coming of Patrick Mahomes. If you feel that strongly about it, then go ahead and get him. If you feel that strongly that he's your guy, he's going to be the quarterback of the future for the San Francisco 49ers, take him then. Just draft him. Get that position taken care of, the first round, second round at the latest. But for these 49er fans, anybody in general who just pretend and act like the draft doesn't matter and is overrated, or we don't need to take the draft seriously because other teams have struggled in the draft. It's the stupidest fucking thing I've ever heard. You can look at the history of your own team. The 49er dynasty of the 80s and 90s, it was built in the draft, the 81 draft, the 86 draft. 81, they took three defensive backs, one of them Ronnie Lott, the other one Eric Wright. Both of them started for that 49er football team and help them win their first ever Super Bowl, Super Bowl 16 versus Cincinnati Bengals. You look at the 86 draft class with 49ers. Tom Rathman, Tim McKire, John Taylor, Charles Haley, Steve Wallace, and Kevin Fagan. All those guys were key contributors to the San Francisco 49ers winning three Super Bowls after the 86 draft, 23, 24, and 29. In 88, 89, 1994, those guys were key contributors to great 49er teams that were able to win three Super Bowls. So the draft should not be ignored. The draft should not be swept under the rug because other teams fucked it up. You can't be so petty and just say, well, the Raiders have had a bunch of draft picks and none of those guys have been good. So what? That's the Raiders. Don't worry about what other teams are doing. The draft is a vital tool to build your football team and be competitive for years to come. The 49ers' success, take 2019 out of it. You got to go back to 2013 for the last time the 49ers had sustained success for three years in a row. And guess what? Those teams in the Harbaugh area were built through the draft. Colin Kaepernick, draft pick. Alex Smith, draft pick. Patrick Willis, Joe Staley, draft picks. Alden Smith, draft pick. The foundation of those teams was built in the draft. You know, Michael Crabtree, Vernon Davis, etc. Frank Gore, those guys were all draft picks. The 49ers selected those guys in the NFL draft to build and fortify and strengthen their football team. The draft is a good thing. It's a valuable tool. And good football teams who have sustained success in the NFL are teams that embrace the draft and do well in the draft. You can't just rely on what you had last season. When next season starts, it'll be two years ago. You can't just say, well, in 2019 we got to the Super Bowl and we had this player and that player. And all we got to do is wait for them to come back from the injury list and we'll be the second best team or the best team in the league. We'll be back in the Super Bowl once we get Bosa back, once we get Solomon Thomas back, Kittle stays healthy, yada, yada. No. That's so frustrating for me to hear because it's so stupid. Yes, those guys are good football players, all draft picks, by the way. But they're not enough. The league changes and evolves every year and other teams get better. Something else I hate is this notion that you got to finish one season strong because the momentum carries over to the next season. That's bullshit. Need, we don't need to look any further than the 49ers in 2017. They finished on a five-game win, five winning streak. Started out the season 1-10, finished up 5-0 to go 6-10. Did that momentum carry over in 2018? They started off 2018 1-2, and then Garoppolo got hurt, and the season was over with. The season spiraled out of control, but one good thing about that season we finished up 4-12, and, and it gave us the second pick in the draft to take Nick Bosa. 
no player in the NFL draft is a guarantee, but you want to be in better positioning to get players. This is what your scouting department is for. Scout good players that fit what you do and go get them. But you can be in a better position to get those players if you have a higher draft pick. This is common sense. So on one hand, you could be in the backyard sipping some Modelo with somebody, talking shit, chopping it up, and talking about how the 49ers beat the Cardinals, yada, yada, blah, 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 whatever. A year from now, is anybody going to remember this victory versus the Arizona Cardinals on December 26, 2020? Are they going to write about this? Is, is this going to be in anyone's history book? Is anyone going to talk about this five years from now? No. So it's short-sighted to just think in the short term and just worry about, well, we won today. And, you know, you can't expect guys and teams to go out there and lose on purpose. No one's saying the guys and teams to go out there and lose on purpose. What, what people are saying is this could hurt us long term. Winning a, what's in the long run going to be a meaningless football game, if it hurts our draft, our draft positioning, it's a bad thing. If we could have got player A, but instead we had to settle for player B because we weren't high enough in the draft to get player A, it's a bad thing. Of course, professional football players are not going to go out there and lose on purpose. Their job's on the line. If they're not playing for a contract with the 49ers, they're playing for a contract with somebody else. you got to put... Good, good habits on tape. You have to put good plays on tape. You have to put quality football on tape for other people to look at and evaluate. I understand that. They're professionals. That's their job. But as a fan, I'm not getting paid if somebody else gets paid. I'm not looking at that. As a fan, I'm looking at where are we drafting at so we can get the best players available. So we can't look back on the, on, on the draft last year and say, well, man, we were just uh, two spots ahead. We could have got so-and-so, but we, we were two spots back, so we didn't get that player. And we had to settle for this guy over here. He's not that good. It's the dumbest thing in the world to me. Embrace the draft and realize that's how you build quality football teams that are good for a long, t- a long time, you know, not just one good year in the midst of eight terrible years. Do you want to be good once every eight years, or do you want to consistently be good every year? The best way to be consistently good every year is to embrace the draft and dedicate all your resources to get good quality football players in the draft. You know, if this team is going to get back to the Super Bowl and be a perennial Super Bowl contender year in and year out, it's going to come from what they accomplished in the NFL draft. If this team is going to fail for the next couple of years, it's going, to, it's going to be because of what they didn't accomplish in the NFL draft. The draft is so important. And I just wish, I just I don't understand why other fans don't see the importance and the relevance of the draft. You know, but it's such a, a nuanced and complex conversation because on one hand, as a fan, you celebrate the win in the immediate aftermath. And you think about it some more, it's like, well, this kind of hurt our draft position. So that's just a conflict that exists between my within myself and also with me and other fans. It's always going to be, you know, when your team is mathematically eliminated from the playoffs and you win a meaningless football game at the end of the season, it doesn't improve anything, but it hurts your draft stock. You know, it's always something to consider. One more thing to consider, one more note about this game. This game was broadcast on Amazon Prime Video. So unless you live in the California Bay Area or in Arizona, this game was not on regular television. This game wasn't even on the NFL Network. This game was on an app. It was on the Amazon Prime Video app or Twitch. Has it gotten that bad for the 49ers? Our games are on Amazon Prime Video. What's next? Is it going to be a 49er game on Netflix? Are we playing Seattle next week on, on TikTok? What the fuck was that? Amazon Prime Video. Fortunately for me, I live in the California Bay Area. 
And I do have Amazon Prime Video. I'm an Amazon Prime member. You know, but the only time I want to use my Prime membership is either at Whole Foods or when I'm shopping on the app. I don't want to watch football games on Amazon Prime Video. To me, it just devalues the game. I was like, the NFL, the NFL has their own private individual network. They couldn't even be bothered to broadcast this shit. What does that do for the consumer? You told people to go out and get Sunday Ticket, Direct TV, Red Zone Channel. You told people to get all this shit, and people did because people love football. And now you're telling people, well, if you want to watch a certain game, you got to get Amazon Prime Video. That's bullshit. You know, now I'm just wondering what the next step is going to be. Are, are different football teams going to create an OnlyFans account and the only way you can watch their games is if you subscribe to their OnlyFans account? Is that what we're doing next? Are football teams going to be like Instagram models? You know, put the games on the NFL network at the very least. Fuck that. Amazon Prime Video, Twitch, TikTok. Stop making it fucking almost impossible to watch a football game. That's just that was so obnoxious, I thought. Exclusively on Amazon Prime Video. Then the announcers sucked. The presentation in the game just seemed off. You know, I watched I watched the first game, Detroit and Tampa, and then I watched the third game, Oakland and Las Vegas. Not I'm sorry. Las Vegas versus Miami, not Oakland anymore. But either I watched both of those games. Crisp HD presentation. Looks good on my TV. And then I watched the 49er game. My favorite team on Amazon Prime Video, and it looked like shit. I felt like I was stuck in a time warp. I was like, what am I in 2020 or 2004? You know, that's another reason the 49ers have to get consistently good again. Consistently good football teams don't have their games broadcast on Amazon Prime Video. That's an insult. That's a slap in the face. That's the NFL saying, nobody gives a fuck about this Cardinals 49ers game. Put it on Amazon Prime Video. Fucking ridiculous. With that being said, rant over. With that being said, that concludes this edition of the Deion Gordon Podcast. I, once again, and your host, Deion Tyree Gordon. Picture me rolling, I'm out.